Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you all. Good to be together. Um, you know, if, if you got a bulletin today, I joked with a couple people that this is now a collector's item. Uh, growing up, collecting baseball cards, if you got like a misprint card, had like the wrong guy's name on it or the wrong team, that was worth extra money. And so this bulletin, uh, I mean, that's not something that happens very often. Misprint like that. So hold on to that. Get a nice plastic sleeve to put that in and hold on to it for, for a while here. Um, but yeah, as, as Tanner mentioned uh, during announcements, so Randy's just been sick. He is certainly not the only one. Uh, maybe some of you are here and you haven't been here in a, in a while. And maybe I don't know where the live stream camera is. I'm sure there's many people watching uh, on the live stream who wish they could be here. Maybe they've been gone for a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, we certainly want to keep praying for Randy and all those who have just been brought down by sickness here lately. Um, so also with that, just kind of as we're making adjustments, maybe this goes without saying, this is obvious and I think you could have figured it out, but the Revelation Sunday School class that Randy is teaching, uh, we're not going to have that today. Instead, uh, the Sunday School class I've been teaching downstairs in room 109, we're going to take over the fellowship hall. Uh, so it's going to be the kind of what is a church Sunday school class in the fellowship hall today. Uh, if you've normally been part of the Revelation class, you are welcome to join us. Uh, we'd be happy to have you uh, be a little bit bigger this week. So everyone's invited to still to Sunday school, but it won't be Revelation this week. Um, Randy left it open whether or not this is punishment for questioning the pre-trib uh, rapture. <laughs> His words. Um, I doubt it. Um, anyway, so to this morning's uh, scripture passage that we're actually going to be looking at and preaching from is from 1 Corinthians seven, seventeen to 24. So I'll give you a moment there to open up your Bibles, not to, not to Mark chapter 8, but to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 to 24. And if you could go ahead and stand, I will read that passage. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 24. Then we'll do our normal pastoral prayer based on Psalm 14 this morning. But as long as we're switching things up, you know, not going along with the bulletin, everyone reading the scripture uh, passage earlier, Psalm 23 together, we're going to switch it up a little bit with the prayer too. I'm just going to give about 30 seconds of quiet prayer before I jump into the pastoral prayer. So you can take that time to confess in or we can just prepare our hearts to hear God's word. So I will read 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 to 24, and then we'll take just a few moments, a few, few 30 seconds or so of quiet uh, personal prayer, and then I will uh, pray the pastoral prayer based on Psalm 14. So read along with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which the Lord into which God has called him this is my rule in all the churches was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised let him not seek circumcision for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God each one should remain in the condition in which he was called were you a bondservant when called do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. 
Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let's take a few moments of quiet prayer. We come to you in Jesus' name this morning by his merit, uh, because of his work on the cross. We have bold access to you. And as your word says, it's the, the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And certainly we can think of many uh, in our culture, in our world, who are overtly opposed to you. But we confess that this condemnation of sin is on all of us. There is none who does good. There is none who seek after, after you. We all, in different ways this week, but genuinely, have turned aside. We have lived as if you were not watching, as if your ways are not good, as if there were, you did not exist. So, Lord, we confess our sin before you in the things we've done and the things we've not done and the way we've uh, just not loved our neighbor with, as ourselves and the way we've uh, not loved you with our whole heart. Lord, we have sinned in many ways, shown ourselves to be not good, to not be ones seeking after you. So please restore us, forgive us. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So thank you that we can be restored and made right with you, that we don't know you ultimately as, as the one who will bring us wrath, but the one who poured out your wrath on Jesus on the cross so that those of us who have put our faith in him can be forgiven, can be made righteous. So as we continue to walk amongst, again, many who um, just overtly oppose you and your people, and therefore us, Lord, keep us faithful, watch over us, protect us, and even serve us this morning by speaking to us in your word, that we'd be equipped to walk as your people in a world filled with people who ignore you, and even as we continue with hearts that are not completely renewed, hearts that are still heavy with sin. And again, many of us continue with physical ailments, uh, with sickness going around, and uh, many other uh, deep needs on a physical level, Lord. Just be with us in these each situation that you have assigned to us, that you have brought us to. Help us to see the ways that we can honor you and be faithful to you in them and even see your goodness no matter where we are. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated.
Well, really, the main point we're going to see this morning as we look through 1 Corinthians 7, right? We're just jumping right in the middle of a book we haven't been in, right in the middle of a chapter we haven't been in. But the main point we're going to see is that God has a purpose for his saints in each life situation he assigns to them, right? God has a purpose for his saints in each life situation that he assigns to them. Um, and we're going to kind of draw this out. We're going to see that, that Paul really gives us a couple of principles to help us understand this as he walks, as he teaches us from 1 Corinthians 7. And so we even get a couple principles he lays out for us. What we're going to see this morning is that there is a, there's a shepherd principle, there's a sheep principle, and there's a purpose principle. We'll explain these as we go. But there's really those are the three points to help us understand this passage. Is Paul's giving us the shepherd principle, the sheep principle, and the purpose principle. Because here in the, in the middle of 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking to specific people in very specific situations. If you were familiar with 1 Corinthians or you're just reading through, you'd see that he's addressing a lot of situations that maybe even the Corinthians had written him about. They'd asked about, you know, concerning these things or concerning this, what do you have to say about this? So if you're just skimming back through in 1 Corinthians 7, you'd see that he was, he, he's mentioning both single people, unmarried people, and he's mentioning widows. That's in, like in verse 8. Or, or he, he starts talking about married people back in uh, verse 10. Uh, more specifically, he addresses married Christian men who have non-Christian wives and then married Christian women who have non-Christian husbands. You see that getting addressed in verses 12 and 13. And eventually, at the other side of our passage, if we jumped ahead to verse 25, he's talking about the betrothed, what we, we might call the engaged uh, those who are engaged to be married. Um, so you can see, he's addressing all sorts of specific situations, and that's also the case in our few verses we're looking at, 17 to 24, where he specifically talks about those who are circumcised, uncircumcised, those who are bond servants, and those who are freedmen. And the thing is that what might make this an odd passage is that we don't really match up perfectly in any of our situations with these situations. Right? None of us are like first century circumcised Jews who are a part of the church or uncircumcised Greeks who are joining the church or we're not first century Roman servants or, or, or bond servants or slaves or freedmen. These, these, these situations don't exactly match up with us. So we can ask, like, how relevant is this really? Like, How much advice do I really need about how to be a first century bond servant? seem irrelevant, like this isn't my favorite. What, what, what does this chapter have to do with us? But again, Paul is drawing out deeper principles in these, in these verses. He's applying deeper principles about how anyone honors God and lives with God in the equation in all of their situations of life. Right? Most of us see life in first century. People were no different. And our life is essentially... Uh, the sum of you plus your situation, that equals life. You plus your situation, that is life. Um, we're like the people in Psalm 14, right? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Functionally, we see ourselves as you plus situation equals life, not you plus your situation plus God helps you understand where you're at in life. But Paul wants us to not forget God. He wants us to add God into this equation 
Because when that happens, when you understand you and your situation in life, whatever it may be, one of these specific 1 Corinthians situations or something totally different, understanding God's purpose and even his sovereignty over it will completely change our understanding. It will completely change our outlook. And so the first thing Paul lets us on to is what, again, I've called the shepherd principle. This is the fact that God is sovereign over your circumstances. Your life situation is not just something that you've kind of randomly fallen into. into. You know, you think of the Price is Right game and the Plinko, and you kind of drop the, the little disc thing in, and it kind of plunks, plinks, I guess it plinks all over. That's why they call it Plinko, right? Kind of plinks all over and finally lands somewhere. And, you know, I don't, as far as I know, there's no real strategy to that game. Uh, it's just going to plink where it plinks. Um, and that's how we kind of see our life. It's kind of we've bounced around, and somehow we ended up here. We have plinked where we've plunked. Um, and that's just that's, how, that's our life. And maybe, maybe we've put in some good effort. Maybe we've been a hard worker. We've been a diligent person, and that could kind of account for it. Or we think, uh, man, we are just a victim of so many other people, and that's why we've ended up in this situation. That's how we tend to see our circumstances. But what's Paul's view? Look at verse 17. What does he say? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Let me read that again. Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. What's Paul's view of how you ended up where you are in your life? Is it a Plinko game? You've kind of randomly ended up here. Who could have seen that coming? I think of the way, pay attention to the way he describes this. You're leading the life the Lord has assigned to him. The Lord has intentionally dealt out your life situation. So one which you've been called to, right? This is kind of like, you know, almost a military assignment. Where do you get deployed to? It's very intentional, very strategic. That's how Paul wants us to think of our lives. That's how he wanted the Corinthians to think of their lives. Some of them came into the church from the, they were, they were part of this Jewish background. So, of course, they had the sign of the covenant. They were circumcised. But now they're part of the church. And, you know, a lot of these people aren't circumcised. And in fact, a lot of the biggest opponents of the church are people who are circumcised. And, and even within the wider culture, it can be kind of embarrassing that you come from this, uh, this, this Jewish heritage. And so what, should I remove the marks of circumcision somehow? somehow? Or if you were uncircumcised or you're coming into the church, you don't have this Jewish heritage. Not only do you not have the mark of the covenant, you don't have any of the, the training and the background. You never grew up with these festivals that help you understand who Jesus is. You didn't, under, you didn't grow up reading the prophets. You didn't grow up reading the Psalms and all this. Uh, it, it's kind of a, an embarrassing a sign of your, your ignorance that, as you've come into the church, this lack of circumcision. Should I maybe get on board and... And, and, and choose circumcision? Paul says, no. At the time of his call, the call being your call to come to Christ, to come into the body of Christ, to respond to him by repentance and faith, whatever you were, remain there. Circumcised? Don't, don't seek to switch anything up. Uncircumcised? Don't seek to switch anything up. No. However you are, that is the life God 
has called you to, he has assigned that life to you. I mean, this is the same thing. Paul applies it to those who are bondservants and those who are freedmen, right? Those who are, have, have a master, an earthly master, for whom they, they don't have a lot of flexibility in their life, and others who have plenty of flexibility. You know, we might expect Paul to be really eager to get as many people free as possible. Because what's Paul really zealous about? Bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. He wants to get that gospel out there. So he's probably saying, hey, Christians, some of you are freedmen. How can I get you out on the front lines into the mission field? Hey, bond service, you've got a chance to get out here. We've got to figure out how you can partner with me in getting out to the ends of the earth. That's, that's where the real action is at. That's where the real service to Jesus is at. But what does he say? Hey, remain in the condition in which you were called. Where you're at, that's where the Lord's, assigned, the Lord's assignment to you. Your life, your circumstances, your life situation is one in which the Lord has assigned you. And this goes against so much of the American or modern understanding of ourselves. We tend to think, I am my own and I belong to myself. I am who I am because of who I am. That's how we tend to operate in life, right? I am my own. I belong to myself. I'm going to maintain that, that autonomy that belonging to myself as much as possible. And we think this is true freedom too, right? If I just, my own, I am a self-made man or a woman, whoever you are, we can, even if you have freedom to move from being from a man to a woman, right? That, this is freedom, autonomy, making yourself what you want to be. That's how we tend to think in America. That's a deeply held value. But if you're your own, if you're self-made, is that actually as free as we tend to think it is? I mean, suddenly you're responsible for everything in your life. Freedom really can come at a a great price, and we don't just mean that in the sort of uh, the the cost of, of a freedom that the soldiers pay. But no, in this sort of ideological freedom of I can make myself whatever I want, suddenly if you are liberated from every single social value, moral value, natural value, religious value, suddenly you, who's in charge of the meaning of your life? How can you know if you're doing things right? How do you know if you're living a good life? The person who tends to live by the I am my own and I belong to myself creed lives in one of two ways. Either there's a constant drive for success. Every day is an audition. Every day is a tryout. Every day you have to prove yourself. Yes, all right, I was a good person. Yes, I, I, I did what was good. I was a hard worker. I got affirmation from all the people I was looking to get affirmation from yesterday and suddenly you're back in it again the next day day. Or if you don't live with this constant drive for success, 
in which the day before success doesn't mean anything because you've got to just prove yourself again. You are a self-made person. You just kind of choose resignation, right? You see that that staircase seems to lead to nowhere, so why even take a step up? And you see that these are huge problems in our culture. People who are just constantly driven to try and prove themselves, they feel the toll of every single day feeling like an audition, every single day feeling like a tryout, every single day feeling like no matter how good I, what I did the day before, oh, then there's a crush, crushing burden on proving myself. Well, we also see a lot of resignation in our culture. People have kind of tapped out. Why work hard at a job? Why work hard at a career? Why, why, why pursue anything? That's why I'm thankful that Paul here is giving us a better understanding of ourselves. And I am my own and I belong to myself. We get the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Right? We live not the self-made life. We live the shepherded life. One in which the Lord leads us and assigns us and calls us to different situations in life. Uh, this is summarized really well, actually, in the Heidelberg Catechism. I know in our, our middle school, our 7th and 8th grade Sunday school classes go through the Westminster Confession. And so about 50 years before that was written, the Heidelberg Catechism was, was, was written there in Germany. And it has a very famous first question. A very famous first question is, what is your only comfort? Key word there. What is your only comfort in life and death? I bet many of us here know this answer. I'll give you the full answer. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Or as we answer that question when we go through it in the, uh, the New City Catechism, which we go through in the summer sometimes, what's my only comfort in life and death? I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's real freedom. That's real comfort. Now, we don't normally think that way. It doesn't sound like, I am not my own. It doesn't sound like a really great, like a... Like, like a Man, that's what we want to market as a church. What, 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 what does the gospel let you know? That you're not your own. That's going to sell. Right? But it is comfort, real comfort. I mean, again, think of this. We have a good shepherd. We live the shepherded life. That's why we read Psalm 23 earlier. Your life in each situation and each circumstance has been assigned. You've been led there. By the wise, faithful, powerful, loving king. You're not a lone explorer in life trying to just discover your own path to an undetermined location. Just kind of, I read a story last year about Doug Mawson, the famous Australian explorer, Antarctic explorer, who for the last hundred miles of his trek was the only person 
Uh, the rest of his crew had died. He was just alone on the ice in Antarctica, traversing the last hundred miles to try and get back to base. And just most spent most of it snow blind, hardly able to move. Right? If we're our own, that's essentially our situation. <laughs> no clue where we're going if we're going in the right direction. But if we live the shepherded life, we can see that our circumstances are what the Lord, our good shepherd, has assigned to us. They're the place you've been deployed as one of his saints to seek first his kingdom and honor him above all. So that moves us to our second point, our second principle, the sheep principle. Whereas your shepherd has a purpose. Oh, sorry. No. Get these straight. Where... God is sovereign over all of your circumstances. The sheep principle helps us see that your relationship to God defines you, not your circumstances. So although God is sovereign, your shepherd is sovereign over all of your circumstances. It's your relationship to him that defines you, not your circumstances. This is exactly what Paul wants these Corinthians to see. I'm going to read verses 18 to 22, and you'll see this. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek seek circumcision. Why? Why does he say this? For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Why does he say this? For he who is called in the Lord... As a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Again, what Paul helps us see here is that your circumstances are not the scorecard of your life. Singleness, for example, is not an assessment of your value. Neither is marriage. Having a big family, for example... It's not an assessment of your value. Neither is being childless. Inconsistent or unfulfilling employment is not an assessment of your value. Neither is having a company with your name on it. Being circumcised or uncircumcised, being a freedman or a bondservant, those are not an assessment of who you ultimately are, according to Paul. No. Who we are in relation to our shepherd is the most core important thing about us. Most of us think our status or our history or what we're doing right now are the main things about us. Again, going back to the original context, circumcision and uncircumcision would have felt that way. It's not just one little detail on your life. The circumcision and uncircumcision represent a whole different heritage and background and upbringing. It would have been very odd for the circumcised and uncircumcised to be coming together. Same thing with slaves and freedmen. Within the Roman society, they were completely different species almost. The typical Roman would have seen those as extremely central to who you are, a slave or a freedman. Not for Paul. No, there's something that overrides it, that trumps that. Right? These are not the essential things about us. 
Paul's making a pretty, pretty radical statement when he says, neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision. Or to even say, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. Do not be concerned that you're a slave. That's what he says. No. Because what matters? What does he say? Keeping the commandments of God. Or the one who's a bondservant when they're called is a freed man in Christ. Who are you truly? Yeah, you're a bondservant here within Roman culture, but you're a freed man of Christ. And even if you are a freed man within Roman culture, what are you more essentially? You're a bondservant of Christ. Paul is assessing each of these people in each of these situations according to their relationship, their connection to the shepherd. And again, we often think our status, our history, what we're doing right now, our current circumstances, that's the most essential thing about us. I think we often don't even realize how, how strongly we lean on our circumstances or our successes, as we, how often we don't really lean on them as like for our comfort, for our stability and strength until they're taken away. Right? You don't realize how much you'd put in the fact that you are a freedman for example, until it's taken away, right? But inside, kind of in our our heart of hearts, most of us have something going on that we'll say, I know that God is good, and I can live with joy as long as, and then we fill in the blank. There's some circumstance or some achievement we put in there. I know that I will be sure that God is good, and that I will be able to live each day with with joy as long as, I'm a good student, and my grades keep up. I'm well-liked amongst my peers. I'm in good health. I'm having athletic success. Uh, My family is in a really solid place, right? Oh, all good things. All good things. Right? We we, we haven't filled in the blank. We don't realize that we're not living according to this sheep principle. Um, I I can give you, I'll I'll give you one personal example of, of, a time this kind of got kicked up with me, and it's, it's a pretty personal example. Um, as most of you, mo- many of you know, it was, it was about three and a half years ago that uh, my dad passed away. Right, that's math is right on that. Yeah, and it's interesting. After he passed, um, one of the main memories that kind of just just play, replays in my head uh, of my time with my dad is from uh, the cross country uh, conference championships my junior year. The fall of 1999. That was not recent. Um, I, and I, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have guessed this would have been like a core memory um, beforehand, like until it just be, been the thing that kind of comes up on replay a lot. Um, I, 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 there's nothing amazingly uh, it was like, oh, wow, this is real kind of highlight reel of life moment. But it, it, it's just one of the things that stuck. And maybe, hopefully I can explain to you why. Is, uh, like I said, this is my junior year cross-country, and I'd, I'd been having some pretty good success uh, all through, so far in high school, right? Um, things had gone well with cross-country. I just had gotten started as a freshman, but it really was just improving and improving, and um, yeah, it, was just, it was a joy to be on the team. Uh, I, was, I was having a successful season and really just, yeah, just improving pretty much, pretty much every way, and so we were really, really excited for conference because we had a very a uh, very competitive conference. Like three of the top teams uh, in the state were in our, in our conference. So I was like, oh, all right. 
This is Batavia's chance, not normally a uh, state or conference powerhouse. Like, we are going to finally put ourselves on the map. We are going to duke it out with the Glenbard Souths and the Fentons and the Genevas. I realize those references mean nothing to you. They mean a lot to me, all right? The Viking, nothing worse than a Geneva Viking, trust me. Um, This is our chance, right? This is my chance. Really, wow, okay, we've had, you know, sophomore success, but now we're moving up to varsity. Um, And uh, long story short, the race went terrible. I went out and just, just crashed. And if you know anything about racing, it's like once you start moving backwards, like you really start moving backwards in place. And so I finished way back of where I wanted to finish. Um, and I just remember right after the race, just wanting to get away from the others, teammates, coaches, and uh, just going over a picnic table and just being disappointed, having my head down like, Oh, what a crash from the excitement and anticipation before to the, to the end result. And I'm just, I'm just devastated. And I even, uh, yeah, I just, I, I even just, just start crying, which is not normal. Like, I did not cry a lot as, like, a, a teenager or after races or anything like that. I just start crying. And you're like, well, what's, what's going on? And, and, and um, just even kind of angry I did not want to be around. I did not want to be around my teammates at all. Um, but then my dad comes over, and he gives me a big hug, which was not uncommon. We're a you know, pretty uh, huggy family, you might say. He gives me a big hug, and that's when I just lose it uh, when he comes and gives me a big hug. And I, so, so I thought, like, what's going on there? Why, why was I like, so just anti-wanting to be around my best friends and teammates, but really happy to have this big hug from my dad. And as I thought about this, this here, here's my answer. I'd been having success in running. I'd been improving. But it was really starting to define me. And as long as I was having success, it seemed like a great source of identity, right? Uh, you, you're happy. You're able to be around your teammates and joyful and supportive with them. You're able to be excited for what's next. But now I'd failed. I'd failed pretty badly in my mind. So I didn't want to be around the people I'd normally be happy around because... I could be confident around them only as long as I was successful. But with my dad, right, it was different. Right? He was my dad, whom I related to, not as a runner or a teammate or in any of these things of success. Right? He was my dad who loved me whether I won or lost. And so there in, the, in his arms in that big hug, like in that moment of failure, I was still loved and secure in a way that I wasn't at least I felt like I wasn't with my teammates. It was my relationship to him as a son that defined me to him, not, hey, you were this place, you were all conference or not. It was my relationship to him that that allowed me to go through the failures and successes, the ups and downs. But I don't think I'd realize until that failure came that, oh, I was amongst these other people, no, I was really only secure because of, as long as the success continued. Right, thankfully, as Christians, um, circumcision and uncircumcision don't define us. Bondservant and free don't define us. Single and married don't define us. Successful and unsuccessful don't define us. Healthy and unhealthy do not define us. Belonging to the Lord, that defines us. We are the sheep and, we, and he is our shepherd. 
that's what defines us. And that's what Paul wants those Corinthians to see. He wants us to see. Look at your circumstances. They don't define you. They're not ultimate. They're not essential. They're going to change. They're going to be chaotic. You're going to feel storm-tossed like you're just a boat out in the ocean in the middle of a hurricane at different times in life. That's how your circumstances are going to feel. But the main thing about you, if you're in Christ, is that you are the sheep of the shepherd. So that can lead us to then the third point Paul wants us to see, what I call the purpose principle. That is simply the fact that your shepherd, our shepherd, has a purpose for us, his sheep, in every situation. He really lays this out in verses 23 and 24. He says, You were bought with a price. Do not become bond servants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. As we look at our different situations... We, we tend to think some of them are really, really great opportunities for serving the Lord. Again, we think, man, if I could just get to the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel, then I'll know that I am a servant of the Lord and I am doing things for his kingdom. Most of us don't find ourselves in that situation. We find ourselves in very limiting or small circumstances, much like the bond servants here in Corinth would have felt. Right? There's not a lot of freedom, not a lot of leeway. I'm struggling to even get to, to church on Sunday with my work schedule. Right? We, we feel like these small circumstances. But these limiting or these small circumstances leave us still. We, because we are sheep of the shepherd, they still leave us with the opportunity to do the biggest and most eternal things. Still as a bond servant, or in whatever limited situation, circumstance you find yourself in, there are still opportunities to do the biggest and most eternal things. That's why Paul tells us that, hey, if you're a freed man, you're living as a bond servant of Christ. We're there to remain in the place we've been called with God, keeping the commandments of God. That's what ultimately matters. We need to be reminded that the saints, the people of the church, they're the ones actually in all of our different situations and life circumstances that we have here, we are the ones where the saints are on the front lines of the kingdom, of God's work. It's not the ministers and church workers who are on the front lines. No, the pastors and the shepherds, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, they equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You think, well, what if you're in, you're in the work of the ministry, uh, but you're a bondservant. You've got some really limited circumstances. Your health is keeping you from being able to do very much at all. No. No matter your situation, the Lord has assigned you, your shepherd has led you into, it's there that you can be a bondservant of the Lord is there that you can remain with God. And this is true. You can have this purpose. You can fulfill this eternally significant call no matter your situation. 
So maybe you've been watching at home. Again, I think I'm looking at the live stream camera. I don't really know where that's at. Uh, Maybe you've been watching at home on the live stream camera for a number of weeks, and you just wish you could come in. We pray and hope that you could come and join us here soon and be restored to health, but you feel limited because of sickness and health. Enduring well that trial with joy and in trust with God and finding what the Lord still has for you, if you're in that limited situation is eternally significant. You're living as a, a bondservant of the Lord in the place he's assigned to you. Again, maybe you've, in some way or another, find your life to be more limited now than it used to be, maybe through aging, or maybe through just, you know, you, know, you have these family responsibilities, these work responsibilities. You had a certain freedom you had before. Oh, can I not serve the Lord anymore? No, you are still on the front lines of serving your Lord as a sheep of the shepherd. Maybe you're on the opposite end. You've you've just got this endless platter of opportunities in front of you, and you're not sure which to pick. That's where some of us find ourselves. And you're worried, how do I figure out God's will? Which one of these endless opportunities all seem kind of goodish? Could it possibly be? And you're just dizzy with decisions, right? right? Again, your calling isn't to pick the right one that God kind of has chose as the right one. And what's, you know, the right decision is right before door number three. Oh, you picked the wrong one. Sorry, you picked door number two. No. It's to even think through, ponder, plan, again, in a way which you understand in every situation. You're living the life he's assigned to him. He's, he's assigned to you. You honor him comforted by the fact that you're and we are his beloved sheep. This is what we see in the shepherd principle. God is sovereign over every circumstance in your life, but the sheep principle. It's, it's your relationship to the shepherd that defines you, not your circumstances. And because you're a shepherd of the sheep, your shepherd, your Lord, has a purpose for you in every situation, no matter how hard or how deep of a trial that situation may be. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you again from many different places. We are one body, united in you, members of one another. But oh, some of us are in deep trials, we're in frustrating circumstances and situations. Others of us are in joyful seasons, delightful seasons, freeing seasons. Help us all to remember that we are your sheep and you are our Lord. So our call is to honor you and serve you no matter where you've placed us. Help us to go deep in trusting you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.